0: Hi, good morning, guys. Am I on, Taylor? Good? Okay. Taylor? Taylor? So, forgive me, guys. I have kind of a... Whoa, too much, Taylor. Too much. I have some science stuff going on right now, so I apologize, guys. Ben gave me an out this morning, but I thought... I think there's probably a reason I'm asked to speak this Sunday, so... I'm going to push through. We've got a microphone, so it should be okay. So about six months ago, when Ben brought up me uh, speaking, he mentioned this weekend, I thought, well, that's close to Valentine's Day, so I should speak on love. And for some reason, I told people about that, they all laughed. I do not really know why. And again, people are laughing. Am I that bad of a person? So it's imperative to me that I did this. I have to do a good job at it so I can throw it in their faces that... I'm a better person than I think I am. I'm just kind of rough around the edges. So, first things 1st we talk about how God loves us. Matthew 7, 9 through 11 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So the way I kind of picture uh, how God loves us is my oldest son, Jed. He has special needs. He's kind of autistic, but not. Uh, He's very smart about certain things, but other things he doesn't understand. And so the kid gets into a lot of trouble. I mean, I know all kids get into trouble. I have three boys. They do crazy stuff. But Jed does a lot of crazy stuff. There was one day I decided he can go outside and play by himself. He'll probably be all right. I can trust him-ish. Well then Clay comes in and says, uh, Dad, Jed knocked the lights out of your truck. What do you mean? And I go outside, every headlight, every ta- taillight, side marker, mirrors, we're gone. There's, a two, there's an eight pound splitting mall and a three pound sledgehammer next to it. And He's like, what? So honestly, I wasn't very happy. It wasn't my nice truck fortunately. Uh, he's overly helpful sometimes. He knows that things run on gasoline, gotta be filled up in order for them to run right. So he decided to fill my tractor up with water. So the gas tank and the crankcase, he filled up to the brim. So I started using it. I was like, man, something ain't right here. I was like, plus it should be out of gas anyway. So I took it to the garage. I'm like, it's full. Well, that's weird. I realized oh, there's water in this. So I take care of that. Well, I keep working with it, not realizing he put oil or water in the crankcase too. So I start seeing milkshake come out of it, and I'm in our ditch. I'm like, put it in the crankcase, dude, didn't he? <laughs> okay, okay, all right, we'll get through this. He decided to flood our furnace. Uh, he put a garden hose in the PVC exhaust pipe of it, so it ruined the combustion fan on it. He likes to play pranks like turning our propane off at our big tank. So one day I think, oh, there's something wrong with the furnace, we have no heat in the house. That's all it was, fortunately, but you're still panicking a little bit. The big one was probably when he took a carriage bolt and leaned it against the back tire of my nice truck. And then we went for a little drive somewhere. He goes, Daddy, tire broke. What do you mean it's broke? Daddy, tire broke. I look out I go, it's not broke. There's plenty of air in it. When I get home, I see this big silver thing. I go, oh, you put the bolt behind the tire, didn't you? Because I got flats. We live on gravel, so we get flat tires all the time. So he likes to help me fix the tires. So he brings the air hose out for me, brings the plug kit out for me. Well, I think he was just trying to maybe, he wanted to help me do something. So he decided to subtract that tire, not knowing like, hey man, tires cost a lot of money. You shouldn't do that. So that was the dad said, you better just go inside, dude. Give me some space. Because that, that was where I kind of had my, my limit with it. But I think God views us the same way. He just goes, what are you doing, guys? Because like, a parent to a child is one thing, but I'm a special needs child, that, that gap there, I think it's more like how God views us. We do these things that We didn't really know her bad. And he's like, guys, what do you not get about this? Stop doing crazy stuff. I have to remember that God loves me and has shown me grace. So I have to show it to him. I mean, I was a pretty wild kid, too. I didn't do quite that much stuff. But I was pretty wild, too. Even in my 20s until I got in a lot of trouble and I finally, uh, not stuff like that. Yeah, Probably. So grace is kind of a tough thing because there's grace and mercy which are the same thing but also the exact opposite. So grace is getting what, what you don't deserve, being blessed regardless of your actions. It's so like with him, I could say, well, you know what? We're not riding the tractor anymore. We're not riding the fuller anymore. We're not doing this stuff anymore because you you've burned that bridge, bro. We're done. But I still don't do that stuff with me whereas mercy is not getting what you deserved. You should be punished. So Randy said, I, I did stuff. So when I was... About 19 or 20, I was in Master's Commission. Do you guys know on Broadway, when you're heading westbound, East to East 14, there's those train tracks that goes boom, down, boom. Yeah. Yeah. If you hit them about 90 miles an hour, you can actually jump them, I found out. <laughs> so me and some buddies of mine got in my Suburban. We're heading westbound. So we hit the first one. We go airborne, and we land. It lands so hard, the truck bounces back up. Hit the second one, bounces, we go back up. I about lose control of it. I slow her down. I'm like, okay, probably shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have done that. Then all of a sudden, I see headlights behind me. I'm like, we're in an industrial area. There's nobody here. We get to East 14th and Broadway. I'm like, man, those lights look familiar. Those are, that's oh. a Crown Vic. Oh, my goose is cooked. I'm losing my license. I'm going to jail because I can tell this is definitely a cop. I'm sure it was a Polk County Sheriff. So I'm like, well, he saw me going twice the speed limit. And jumping these train tracks. I am in so much trouble. So I'm like, guys, we're all in Bible college, right? So I am just praying, oh, Lord Jesus, please help me. Oh, I won't do it again. I promise, I promise, I promise. So he falls in for a mile or two, and then he turns off. But he had him sitting like at the uh, Barton Solvers Plant or something. So he had to see me flying through the air. <laughs> so I for sure got in trouble, lost my license, probably been in jail for reckless driving but God definitely intervened. There's no way it was like he just decided not to punish me. Like, God definitely intervened in that situation somehow. I think sometimes material things separate us from God. It's kind of hard to see how much he loves us. You can't see the force of blessings through the trees of envy. We see what others have and wonder, if God doesn't love me as much. Part of that thing is just being an American because you can hustle and bustle and have a nice house, nice truck all that stuff, and you might look at it and say, man, why does God bless them so much? Whereas in reality, they're just business savvy. And the thing is, if God didn't, if God didn't take care of us and, or didn't give us things, then people in third world countries would just give up then. Because obviously anything an American has is tenfold something a third world country has. So if there are Christians there and God provides for them, I think we just have, at least for me, we have a skewed view sometimes. We look at like earthly things and think, well that's how God loves us, right? Because he does stuff for us. But the Bible says that God provides seeds for the birds and dresses flowers more grand than Solomon. Because birds don't they don't store food up, squirrels do, but birds don't store food up, but there's just seeds really available for them. If you don't know who Solomon is, he was a very rich king in the Old Testament. So obviously his garments are very nice, but God says that he dresses the flowers more grand than Solomon. So how do we love others? John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. But do we really believe that? At least I don't a lot of times. We might tolerate people. We just think, well, I don't like this dude, but I'll just avoid him then. 1 John 4, 20 says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, not love God and they have not seen there's a story of the good Samaritan and back then they were thought to be second-class citizens but when that man was robbed uh, I believe it was a, a priest stop or priest just walked right by some other people that were in his people group just ignored him abandoned him but the Samaritan who was considered back in the day to be a lower-class citizen not only stopped to help him but took him to a nearby town and said hey Whatever it takes, I'll cover it. I'll pay you. If this, the no money I give you right now isn't enough, I'll come back later and I'll, I'll make sure it's made right for you. You know in two thousand nine eleven 11 happened, obviously, you know, there was a war on terror. We wanted to stop Al-Qaeda and all that stuff. But to an extent, I think there was definitely like, if somebody was Muslim, whether you admit it or not, you had some kind of heebie-jeebies around them. But that's not what God has called us to be. I remember... Uh, There was a prayer thing called, one thing, down in Kansas City. And my cousin was in the same program I was in, and he was heading down there. It would have been, say, the fall, the winter of 2005. Because Saddam Hussein got executed, I think it was New Year's Eve of 05, New Year's Day 06. And the guy, he was riding with another pastor, uh, the radio came on and said, Saddam Hussein is to be executed tonight by hanging. My cousin goes, oh, thank God, man. Finally happened. Get me me he deserves finally. This pastor friend of ours goes, yeah, that's a great thing. But he's been praying for his salvation the last 20 years. My cousin said his conviction just fell over. Even when he told me the story, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't think that way about people, should we? Like, yeah, there's, there's still capital punishment, but we as believers aren't called to think that way about people. The thing is, everyone has value, whether we acknowledge it, realize it or not. God views us all the same. Man, woman, child, black, white, Muslim, Christian, Jew, it doesn't matter. We're all the same in God's kingdom. Because after the New Testament happened, when Jesus came, there is no longer. There's these people, my enemies. We're all in the same group now. I think she mentioned it during worship today that we'll, they will know we are Christians by our love. You know, it's kind of that cheesy song we all learned growing up. You know, we are one in the spirit. But the thing is, do people know we're Christians by our love? Do they see how you act, how you talk to people, how you talk about people, how you gossip about people? Uh, there was one time I kind of felt called to go change a tire for somebody. We were heading home from some evening. I was like, do you smell like a vacuum cleaner belt being burnt, Emily? I realized, oh, it's the trailer in front of me. Uh, their tire's coming off. So they pull over. You know, I, I see disabled vehicles all the time. I I live out in the middle of nowhere. Some boys on the interstate driving place, but you drive by most of the time. But they drove by, Emily goes, Ah, oh, I think they're an older couple. And I was like, Man, I don't wanna deal with this because I kinda of wanna go home. So I said, Well, I'm gonna take you and the kids home because I'd hate for like something to happen. I pull over to help them. Like somebody rear ends you on the interstate or something kills you guys. So I went home, got my truck, any any tools I could possibly need, because if you ever worked on the cars. It's never that easy. It's never just as simple as, like, we're going to jack it up, take the tire off. So I got, like, a torch and everything, like, if I need to get the nuts hot to get them off. Sockets set, screwdrivers, anything I could possibly fathom. So I head back north, and uh, find people I walk up to. them like, hey, uh, you guys need help us, like, your, your tire went flat in your trailer. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. Our daughters got married in Minnesota today. We live down in uh, Oklahoma, and we're heading home right now. And uh we're not even quite sure where we're at. We know we're in West Des Moines somewhere. We're not quite sure where we're at, and they told us it'd be two or three hours till they could come find us. And they weren't sure what mile marker they were at because they stopped between two of them, and then come to find out the man was wheelchair bound, so as a person he couldn't do it himself. So fortunately, I was able to help them because it ended up being a, this cobbled mess. That if somebody had come out to do it for them, their AAA would have probably even covered the whole thing because that's just going to cover getting a tire like switched out. But if they had to do more work, I used to work for a mechanic shop, so if they had to do more work, they're going to charge you for that. You have to pay the cash value of it. So it's funny how, you know, I see cars all the time that are broke down. But, like, God definitely spoke to me in that moment and said, you need to go help these people. And it wasn't really something I wanted to do. It was like 9 o'clock at night. Like, I wanted to go home, watch TV, and go to bed. That's the last thing I wanted to do was drive back up north 20 miles, then be out in the freezing cold working on this thing. And see, and Ben has touched on this. In the early church, nobody went without. I think that that's something we all need to kind of work on. I know there's only so much money, so many resources a church has. Like, I wish we had a bigger food pantry. I wish we had a way where if we had, like, a gal that's a single mom and she needed, like, her brakes replaced in her car. We just had something, like, set up that we could just do that for them. I'd like to launch something like that. It's just a lot of work, obviously. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I watch a lot of TikTok. I'm probably going to delete, delete it because it's a huge time waster. And there's some stuff on there that people should be looking at anyway. But it is a huge time waster. My phone reminds me, you watched TikTok for 36 hours this week. I'm like, uh, I think it's wrong. There's no way. Yeah, but it, it has been, Unfortunately. But I saw this TikTok of a pastor critiquing Jelly Roll, who I'm not really a big fan of, but I think Jelly Roll's a believer now, but he was on some talk show. He is? You're shaking your head. Okay. So I'm not even like, a big, like, fan of his music, but he was on some talk show talking about how churches, pretty much where they suck in life at, how they don't, like, act like the church they should act like. So this pastor stitches in. He's pretty much condemning Jelly Roll, saying, I'm warning you about someone like him. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and this, this, and this. I was like, bro, no. First off, you don't know this dude. Second off, he's probably about more people to Christ than you can ever imagine. You're probably jealous of him. Yeah. I think I get defensive because I go to this church and there's sober soldiers, and so now that I, I know some of these people, I see someone has gone through, because I've never gone through hard stuff in my life. I've had a pretty cushioned life. But someone like Jelly Roll, who's been through some bad stuff in his life, he probably is rough around the edges. But instead of condemning this guy, condemning that pastor should have like, been encouraging him. And saying, well, now what he said here isn't actually accurate. What the Bible says is actually this. But instead, because he doesn't meet this guy's standards, he just thinks that he's not worthy of saying anything, which is despicable. Amen. Yeah, I agree. John 18 talks about how we should call people out. Because I think we're bad about that, too, is the social media era. John 18 says, if you have a problem with somebody, you go to them directly, you confront them. If that doesn't work you bring somebody else with you, and you say, hey man, you're doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. And if that doesn't work, you bring the pastor with you. If that doesn't work, then you bring the community. depends on the Facebook, do we see people getting these arguments on there? Believers, There's like, guys, you're making us look so bad, please stop. When it really gets me is somebody like makes a controversial statement on there, and somebody reply with, well, since you made this in a public forum, I'll reply to you publicly. You know you're in the wrong too now, right? So if I ever do argue with somebody, I message them. I'm like, hey, man, I think you're way off base, but whatever. just Also, when you do it on, on social media, it can get out of control so quick then. What starts out as a little argument, people start throwing in their own stuff, and next thing you know, the original poster is like, man, I had no idea it was going to get out of control like this. I am sorry. But again, non-believers see that stuff, and they go, look at all the infighting in the church, the big C church, not so much our church. Look at all the infighting in the Big C church. Only part of that. People are crazy. <laughs> like I mentioned earlier about, but God shows his love that when we are sinners, he still died for us. If you know who Paul is in the New Testament, Paul used to be a bad dude back when he was Saul. Not only is he a bad dude, he killed Christians, or he he made sure that he, he persecuted them. He dragged them to their homes to have them executed or put in prison. And then Paul ended up writing the third of the New Testament. The thing is, God could have, you know, just gave him what he deserved. We talk about grace and mercy. God showed him grace that he could have said, all right, you know, you're forgiven, we're done, but not use him again. But instead, like I said, God used him by the third of the New Testament. And he gave him mercy that he didn't take vengeance on him, because God is God. He could have been like, hey, man, he's killed my people. He could have accidentally had Paul fall down. You know, get hurt real bad or die. But he chose not to because he loves him. I've also noticed that there's a problem where we try and defend Scripture compared to, compared to justify. You can defend a lot of things by the Bible. But you can also manipulate and justify a lot of stuff by Scripture. I so feel we use a lot of old covenant teachings to justify modern mindsets. You know, in John 3.16, the first verse that everybody probably learns about, them. for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that everyone shall come to the kingdom. Matthew 9.16 talks about putting, talks about wine skins, and what they used to do in the old day was they would take wine when it was first fermented, they put it in a wine skin, it was essentially an animal bladder. You had to do that because that bladder could expand while the wine fermented. But you put new wine and the old skin, it would break. It it was brittle. It would burst. I think we try and fit some Old Testament things into how we should be living now. We try and justify anger towards people, malice towards people, death towards people that we don't like, don't agree with, don't have the same beliefs as us. The thing is, we don't have enemies. In the Old Testament, when God sent uh, Samson with the donkey, he to go kill people. That's because Back then, there was God's chosen people, but once Jesus came, that's all absolved. That doesn't exist anymore. We don't have enemies. I know I keep hitting on this, but again, this is what I struggle with too. I think of like this people group or this belief, this whatever, my enemy, but they're not. We have conflicts with individu- individuals, but that's as far as it goes, though. Romans eight thirty seven thirty nine says, "No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us." For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another big thing that's, that divides us, I think, is politics. And I have to be careful what I say here, according to Randy, because that's being a nonprofit. But But is also an election year. And I think every year we have an election, I feel like things keep getting crazier and crazier as far as like the left to the right. It used to be in the 80s, maybe we were here. But there is no no centralized anymore, right? You're either extreme this way or extreme this way. Regardless of who you vote for, I want you guys to realize, it really has no bearing on God's plan for your life. We could put a pastor in office, and he could make everybody pay 10%, you know, say, well, hey, our taxes from now on, instead of giving for... This is this program. We're going to give 10% to churches so they can you know, carry out God's work. That doesn't work either, though, right? It's okay to vote your convictions, but just don't think it's going to make your life any better, though. And you might think, well, man, how can one side vote for this guy? He's a, and you're probably going to home saying, talking about, but he's a crude, vile person. He says all these things. How can you be a loving Christian still like this guy? The other side might say, Well, I don't know how you can vote for this guy. He's an that half the time. But, like, I can argue this all the time with people, mostly because it's fun to argue. It's, it doesn't really have a bearing. I like to argue with people about stuff, but it can get heated, though, where, like, politics can, can divide people in churches. There's a church that's split over politics, over who they think the church should endorse. The thing is, also, the farther we get down the road, I think, in the future, the more crazy things are going to get with politics. And it'll probably come to a point where we're like, you know what, I don't think I believe in politics at all because things have gotten so off the rails on both sides. I don't get in the weeds too much because I can get us in trouble, but also then people take what I say, they'll take one sentence out of it and they'll run with that though and try to make me look like a bad person. So not anybody here, just you know how people in general are. I'm not telling you how to think or feel. I'm just giving you things to consider. And so up, up to you to decide. Like I said, there will become a time in our life where I think it's things that do get bad in our country, in our world, that I want you to be caught off guard and think, well, I'm pretty sure here's where I stand on this, this, and this. But things get crazy in the end times. If you don't know where you stand on stuff, you're going to be just confused and lost and fall to the wayside. I feel like Lola and Ben hit this one, too, ironically. That's also why I decided to push through today of not being able to talk very well. If you don't fully trust God, you probably don't fully love him, and then also vice versa. I was going to use 1 Corinthians 13 just because I feel like it's overused. Every wedding you go to, they read 1 Corinthians 13, don't they? The part of me I first was going to do is like, well, I could just use that because I could probably make a whole sermon off that alone, which you can. I thought, nah, I'm phoning it in. I can't use 1 Corinthians 13. But I referenced it a few times to write this. I realized the problem is it's so succinct and like it's all-encompassing of God's love and our love for others. We're going to get into that now. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Just because you're right, doesn't mean you're right. I say this all the time to people. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I just don't, people don't get that. I don't understand what it is. Like, you have to have tact in how you speak to people. Yes, they do things you don't agree with, you think are wrong, that the Bible says are wrong. But if you're aggressive about it, it's not going to do anything. So anybody here that struggles with addiction in our life, maybe, if your family just like threw you to the wayside, if they were believers themselves, did that make you want to come to church? Or is it being shown love and compassion that made you want to come to church then? If I give all I have, if I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. So you can check all the boxes to be like the perfect Christian, but it can all be in vain. I think it's Matthew 28 talks about many will come to me on that day and say, but Lord, but Lord, did I, I healed the, the sick in your name, and I cast out demons, and he'll say, be away from me for I do not know you. See, if you're doing stuff like that, even if you're doing miracles in the name of Jesus, but you're not showing love and compassion to people, he doesn't care. Like, let that sink in. Like on paper, you can be doing everything right, but if you're not showing love to people, it can all be in vain. And on that day, he'll say, "Nah, deuces, bro." <laughs> love is patient. Here's a big one for me. Are we patient? I have the worst road rage there is in the world. I I don't know what it is. If you're going three miles three miles an hour with the speed limit and not seven or eight, I can't stand you as a person. Even though they're they're actually <laughs> breaking the law themselves. If a speed limit's 30 miles an hour, it's 30 miles an hour. If They're going 33. They're still breaking the law, but not enough for my convenience because I'm trying to get somewhere in, the, in a hurry. One of my biggest pet peeves is probably at like the state fair. I know you only ab- abide by, like, traffic laws at the fair when you're walking, but if we're on the road and you're in front of me and you're talking, you decide, hey, let's just stop in the middle of the thing here So we have a conversation about where we should go eat next. If you don't move yourself to the side a little bit, it takes all I have to not push you and say, "Keep moving." And I don't know. A lot of things I am patient about, but it's—I struggle with that. It's hard for me to not lose my cool with people that aren't speeding enough or don't get out of your way when you're walking on a sidewalk. <laughs> Love is kind. Well, do we act annoyed with people a lot? It's hard to be kind. Someone's just talking your ear off, or you just don't enjoy their company that much. It's hard to be kind to people it does not envy. Remember, envy steals joy. I think you said that today, too, didn't you? Man, that's weird. Does not boast. Facebook, that's why I think it's evil in the first place. Facebook is either the humble brag or the woe is me, it seems like. It's really hard to find. So if I ever do post on Facebook, I think I've posted maybe six things in the 18 years I've had it, but I always write something, I go, nah, that's, that's too, like, woe is me. That's bragging. You know what? I'm going to post it. This is stupid. (laughs) I'm probably too conscious of that to come so critical of other people that do it. It is not proud. It is not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Well, if you're married, that last part's kind of tough. No record of wrongs. It's easy to be like, you know, you got a really bad habit of dot, dot, dot then they slam back on you with something that you do wrong. A story I want to share about a close friend of mine about the keeping records of wrong is a, and you're probably going to be able to put two together what I'm saying because I'm using Christianese here. But a close friend of mine had a moral failure, which we know what moral, fa- moral failure means. This is a nice way of saying something else. That's kind of given an ultimatum by our friends and family. You go, are you going to keep talking to him? one of my best friends, why? Well, he did something really bad. Yeah, he, he, he's still, still a child of God, still my best friend, so I'm not sure what you're asking me. We know, it makes me uncomfortable, you know, with his wife now, if you're still friends with him. I'm like, well, that's not really the Christian response to someone's actions, is it? Just to blow him off because they did something bad? Like, yeah, what he did was wrong. You can't just, like, ignore him and throw him to the weeds. That's not what he needs in that moment either. What kind of a Christ response is that? Like, if anything, he needs love and support now more than ever in a time of need where he had done something wrong. Yeah, he was the one who did something wrong, but he did something wrong for a reason because there's something broken in him. And when you're giving ultimatum, like, you're not going to talk to him anymore, are you? I just thought, I thought you people were all Christians. Dear Lord, like, do you really believe the Bible or not? We show grace not just by forgiving and calling it even, but by trusting them again. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So I've been kind of all over the page today. I get that. Why don't you guys remember this? That God loved us first, so we should love others the way that he does. And what if we viewed others from God's perspective? There's a scripture that talks about praying for those that curse you, bless those that mistreat you. It's a tough thing to do. It's easy to get up here and say this to you guys and tell you you should do it, but I don't always act that way either. I can be offended by people. You need to be quick to forgive and slow to anger. And I think about Jesus dying on the cross that when he said, forgive them, Father, They no not, not know what they do. It wasn't like he had time to like Get off the cross, lick his wounds, heal up, go meditate on it, pray, do all this stuff. and like, I think I'm at a place now where I can forgive them. I think about a bad time in your life. Could you forgive the person in that moment? Like, this dude just got beat to death, essentially, and then nailed to a cross. And in all that physical anguish, he still rose above that and said, forgive them. I, just, I, can't, I can't get past that. Like, oh. Uh, Okay, I am going to call Taylor out. Right he asked if I was going to make fun of him. So I have, I know Sarah has this problem too, misophonia. If you chew your mouth open around you, people, you just want to slap them. There you are. <laughs> it takes all I have to not smack you in the mouth. I'm like, bro, you're an adult. Stop doing that. <laughs> so sometimes Taylor does that to me. And it's hard for me to like keep my cool. But I try to think like, I can't even be rational in that moment. I'm so like unhinged angered, angry in that moment that I can't imagine like showing Christ's love to somebody. This guy got beat to death essentially and chose that moment to rise above that and be the better person. So remember, chief of sinners though I be, chief of sinners Christ died for me. So if none of this resonates with you, congratulations. Your benchmark for being a Christian is higher than mine to begin with. Even though I've been doing this for 20 years, it's possible you guys are better people than me, and I am totally okay with that. If this message was for me today only and nobody else, I'll take it. These are just my personal experiences and observations. Things that have happened to me where I've had to come, overcome things, and just looking around like uh, other believers around me and how they act and treat people, and I'm just like, you make this so much harder than it has to be. Like, we can't grow the church if we're mean to people who are non-believers or make fun of people who don't have the same views as us. Like I take no joy in this. Like Originally, I was going to be like, yeah, we're going to talk about love. It would be all hoity-toity, flowers and daisies, and I can just do a message like that. But God has kept not convicting me, but just kept saying, no, man, we've got to talk about this stuff. It's got to be addressed. This happened probably six months ago. I was in a... Wyoming, with my best friend, Uh, took a little trip out to the mountains, and I was kind of sharing with him about some struggles I was having with that stuff, about how Christians treat other people, other believers, I was infighting with that, and then how they treat other people. He was got to give me his perspective on it. Then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, I don't even say it was conviction, but like just God just descended and like hit something in my heart. Next thing I knew, I ended up sobbing. We're sitting there at this hot tub at this resort. And I am just sobbing. I can't talk. I'm moaning and groaning. And like, but it wasn't like God was saying, no, actually, you're the idiot, David. It was just, I can't explain how gentle it was the way that God was like, hey, man, I get you're upset. But the problem is you're becoming the thing that you hate. You don't realize it because you think you're like the justified one here. But unfortunately, you're becoming that same person that you're trying to stand against. If you're doing that, what you're saying means nothing. I just felt this gentle nudge by God. I didn't feel ashamed at all. I encourage you guys to find people friends. I know sober soldiers. They meet here twice a week. And then you guys do something on Saturdays too. Every Saturday, they get the sober soldiers home. You know, they see each other a lot, I guess. But I encourage you guys to find a few people to be friends with, to be intimate with, to show, to talk about like sports, talk about God. Be accountable to each other. Hold each other accountable. So The last thing I'm going to share with you guys is on that same trip, on the last day when we were heading home, I think he was waiting for the last day so it wouldn't cause tension between us. But that buddy of mine had to kind of call me out. He's like, hey man, I got to be honest, you're not who you used to be. I'm like, in what way? He's like... You're not as enjoyable to be around as you used to be. Like, I know you're going through a lot right now, like having Jed. And then that caused a lot of, like, something for us, that caused a lot of problems in our marriage. Because I always feel like she's not doing enough. She feels like I'm not doing enough. Because the kid is so much work that, like, it made a huge wedge in our marriage. And so I feel like a lot of my friends have more freedom that I don't have. So it's caused, like, jealousy on my part. He's like, I love and care about you, man. I want the best for you, but... I'm letting you know, you're heading down a bad path right now, and I don't want to see that happen to you. And I could tell by the way he was saying it to me, like, he didn't want to tell me this. Like, it hurt him to have to talk to me about it. The last thing he wanted to do was, like, upset me on our trip. It was supposed to be, like, you know, this fun time. But at the same time, when he did it, I wasn't, like, mad, because I knew I needed to hear it. And because he did it the way, like, Christ calls us to, he was like, here's the deal, man. You're jealous of this. You're acting this. You're just not fun to be around. I would have just been... Put it offensive, like, well, screw you, man. But because he was kind, compassionate, and gentle with it, that's the thing is if if you approach stuff a certain way, you can have about any conversation you want to have with somebody as long as you approach it in the appropriate way. So the last thing is, I'm challenging you guys to be the example of Christ in the church. Be the example of Christ, the church is supposed to be. So. Pushed by end in prayer, huh? All right, Jesus, I just ask you to show us how to love one another. Show us the love that you, let us love each other the way you've loved us. When times are tough, when it's, when it's difficult to love other people, to show your love. I ask that you just, you let us see the value you have in them. When we're having a bad day, we want to be irritable with people, I just ask that you give us the patience that we need. Like it talks about 1 Corinthians 13. All the things in there about being patient and kind to others. I just ask you, let us see the value of other people. Let us see them the way that you see them. And let us be the example of Christ the church is supposed to be. Amen.